All right, thank you, Zach. Great music team, good to see you this morning. Some of our Easter people didn't make it back, but that's, that's okay. We were glad that they came. Some people have different reasons, but we're grateful that you're here this morning. I designed this message to follow Easter for a reason, and that is because I want to answer a question. Why are you here this morning? Now, I wish I had time to go around the room and ask each and every one of you here why you came. Why is the church important? I mean, why are you taking half of your Sunday to come here to sing songs and to hear me talk and then go back home? Why are you doing that? I hope there's a reason and I hope there's a purpose and I hope that you really see why the church is significant and important. But did you realize that a majority of people in our culture today, it's the culture that we live in, think that church is not important at all? As a matter of fact, most people think that they can just go and watch their own TV preacher or listen to a podcast and get more out of worship in that few moments of listening than they could when they came to a service like this. And people have asked me in the past, respond to that, because I can watch Charles Stanley, I can watch David Jeremiah, I can watch Chuck Swindoll, all great preachers. And here is my response to them. When you die, or when you're sick, I promise you, they will not come to your funeral. If you fall off a ladder and break your leg or your child has a major crisis in their life, I promise you that they will not come and help you. Why? Because it's impossible. They can't fly from California and Texas and all over the world to come and meet your needs, and God never set the church up in that way. Now, surely we should benefit from their ministry. Surely you should listen to their teaching. You should grow from their ministry. But that is not God's plan to have us connected to a TV or radio preacher, simply because they cannot meet our personal needs. And this is why a local congregation is so important. God visualizes us as a family. Now, yesterday we had our Easter celebration dinner at our home, and some of our children were away. Do you know what it's like missing people in your family? I mean, you still go on, but when you look around the table, you know, this one's gone, that one's left, this one's working, and it's kind of empty. And that's what it's kind of like in a church body. And so I want to talk to you this morning on the significance of the church and some practical reasons on why that's important. And I'm going to just kind of give you the mouthful this morning, kind of like open my mouth and here's a fire hydrant. And then over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to go back and touch on some of these key issues and let us know why it's important to belong, why it's important to serve, why it's important to connect with people. You know, it's so easy just to come and sit, sing a song and listen, and then leave in isolation. And you can do that. That's fine. I mean, some people are just that way, but I want you to know that's not God's design. God has a much greater and richer design, and your fulfillment in life, and especially in church life, will be met when you do several key issues, several key things. So I'm going to share that, and then we will go over it. So 
our mission statement at Trinity, in other words, the reason we exist here in every ministry we have is to point people to Jesus. On Sunday morning, we preach so that people will see Jesus. All of our adult groups should be pointing people to Jesus. Our children's groups, our outreach groups, everything we have points to him because back to our picture, who is the head of the body? Christ. What do you call a body with no head? A monster. I don't know what you call it. But it's got to have a head. A decapitated corpse. I, I mean, what do you call it? Christ is the head. What in your body should get the attention? By the way, this is something good for fathers to teach their daughters and for fathers to teach their sons when they're looking for a daughter. What did God make to stand out on the human body? Our face. This is what makes us different from everyone else. Our face and we're all uniquely made. And so this is the, the part of the head. And so we point people to the head, to the face. And we exist for that reason. Now, I picked a terrible passage to point this out. And I'm going to, I have to explain this. This is my gifting and my teaching. This is why I exist. But I'm going to point you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning to illustrate the importance of you to the body. Now, if you know 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, both of them are paddling books, you know, the spanking. Paul goes into the church in Corinth and it's filled with nothing but problems and I could list them all. But in chapter 12, 13, and 14, Paul is dealing with a serious issue in this church of the misuse of spiritual gifts. If you read earlier in chapter 12, somebody actually stood up in a church service and said, Jesus is accursed! And Paul says, nobody led by the Spirit of the Lord would ever say Jesus is accursed. So, Make sure that you know what you're saying. Get your things in order. This is his concept. But when you get down to chapter 12, verse 12, he begins to explain the importance of all of these gifts and all of these members in this body. And that's the, the principle we're going to focus on this morning. So notice what he says. Just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. In other words, if I sit here and look at my body, and I had my shoes off this morning, I would have ten toes. My little toe, you do not pay too much attention to your little toe until you walk around the bed at night and cram it into the headboard. And then you pay dearly. Uh, you just reach down and your whole body consoles that little toe. Can y'all tell that I may have done that lately? But I promise you, that little toe is important. And a big toe is very important. Uh, you know, that is back, if you didn't have a big toe on both feet, you could not have balance. You could not run. You could not thrust or lunge. It would be very difficult. But those members of our body don't receive a lot of attention but nevertheless, they're there. And we're just talking about exterior things. What about the internal that you can't see? How important is your heart? What about your small intestine? What about your pancreas? Uh, what about your tongue? You ever thought about trying to eat without a tongue? You can't talk without a tongue? I mean, 
See, the list could go on and on. The point is, your body is made up of many members, and even though you may not see them all, you may not even think about them, every part of your body God designed with a specific purpose, and when one of them is missing and is not functioning, what is the result? The body suffers. And so every member is important. And so Paul is making the point here, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members, of, though they're, all of them are many different, they're all still one. Now notice what he says. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now let me stop for a minute because there's a lot of confusion here about spirit baptism. Spirit baptism, if you go back in other places in the Bible, is the doctrine or the teaching that when a person believes the gospel for eternal life, something happens to them. Now, I'm just telling you what the Bible says, okay? Here's something that happens to them. The moment you believe on Jesus for eternal life, God supernaturally takes your spirit and unites it with the body of Jesus. That is what spirit baptism does. It unites you with the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of that body. So Paul teaches here that in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek. Now, if you have never been spirit baptized, let me be clear, you've never believed the gospel of Jesus Christ for eternal life. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, if, if you have not been baptized with the Spirit, you're not saved. Now, there's a lot of confusion because some people believe that there's a, like a second blessing to life. In other words, there's this additional something that, that if you believe on Jesus for eternal life, you haven't received everything. You're waiting for something extra special or extra spiritual to put you in the Ph.D. level of Christianity. Uh, I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning, I can't find that anywhere. As a matter of fact, when you believe on Jesus for eternal life, you are spirit baptized into the body of Christ, and you have the fullness of Christ because you have all of him. The question now becomes, does he have all of you? Are we surrendered? Are we submitting ourselves to him? Are we allowing him to fill us with the spirit? So the, the big confusion is between filling and baptism. Filling occurs multiple times throughout life. That is empowering. God's empowering us to do something. Spirit baptism is a doctrinal truth that positionally places you into the body of Christ. As my wife would say now, okay, honey, we get the point, go on. Okay. <laughs> but I, I want you to understand that. Now, Paul says, we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. All were made to drink of one spirit. So no matter if you're rich or poor, what? If you believe on Jesus for eternal life, this has happened. Now, he says, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. So in order to have a body, you have to have many members. You can't just have one. Can you imagine a body with just a mouth? I mean, what instructs the mouth to speak? 
What, what gives face and expression to the mouth? So, for the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. He chose to put the ears up here and the feet down there and the hands. I mean, this is an intricate designer who created us in a magnificent way. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be the weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. I'll leave that one alone. You can figure that out. But the point is, each part of our body gets recognition. Which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. In other words, I should care for my feet just like I do my hands. I should care for my other parts of my body just like I do my face. I mean, the point is each should be cared for because it's all connected. Now notice what he says. If one member suffers, all suffer together. You know, this should be how our human body functions. It should also be how a church body functions. If I mash my finger, my whole body focuses on the finger. But applying that out here, if one person suffers or struggles, what should the rest of the body do? It should go and rally around that suffering, struggling person and encourage them and uplift them and pray for them and help them and do everything that's necessary to get this person through because we are one body. Now, notice what he goes on to say. If one member is honored, what should all do? We should all rejoice. We should be thankful. I heard a man tell a story about somebody. He was talking about two church members, and one of them found out he inherited about $2 million. And the other person, he said, he, he said to be honest with you, I found it so hard to rejoice with him. And then he said, I just don't know why, though. Isn't it interesting? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Now Paul concludes and says, as a reminder, now you are the body of Christ and individually you are members of it. Now let's just let that sink in for a moment. 
and pray. Father, thank you this morning for this teaching of the importance of the church and each member in it. And I pray that we will think about this and let this concept sink into our heart and life that you have a purpose and a plan for each one of us. And you want our gifts and our talents and our abilities to be used within your body. Help us to understand why you saved us and the importance of activating our gifts to serve you. And may we see fruit from that and may you receive glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Charles Ryrie, who I was privileged to sit under, makes this statement about the church. It's kind of in-depth. I should teach through the whole thing, but you'll all be asleep by the time I get through it. But I want to read it to you because it's so important. Listen to what he says. The importance of the church can scarcely be overstated. It is that which God purchased with the blood of his own son. If you don't think the church is important, you don't think that Jesus is important. Because he died for this church for his church, for his body. He goes on and writes, The church is that which Christ loves, and that he nourishes, and that he cherishes. Ephesians 5, 25 and 29. This is the context of husband and wife, loving and serving as a model of Christ and the church. And which he shall present to himself blameless in all her glory one day. You don't realize this, but you are being prepared for the grand wedding. You know, people say, well, there's no such thing as marriage in heaven. Oh, yes, there's a big marriage. And that is the bride to Jesus himself. It's going to be a wonderful wedding too, by the way. Now listen to what he goes on and writes. Building his church constitutes Christ's principal work in the world today. People ask, what is Jesus doing in heaven? And some people will respond, well, he's just praying for his people. Oh, you've missed the grandest point. He is praying for his people. He is interceding for us, but he's doing something much greater than just praying on our behalf. He is actively involved in the lives of people building his church. Saving people's souls and using individuals to reach other individuals to bring them into this body. And Jesus makes a promise, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Don't you like being a part of a winning team? You know, sometimes we look around at a church or the church and we say, oh, it's failing today. There's no power. Are you kidding me? The church will never fail. It will succeed. Will there be apostasy in the church? Yes. Will there be failings in the church? Yes. Will there be evil people within the church? Yes. But let me tell you something. The church, as his body, will succeed. Because Jesus will make sure it does. Now, let me finish the quote here. 
through his giving of spiritual gifts. So the church is going to be built up and he's building it through the gifts and the calling of his people to share the gospel so that the Spirit of God can take the gospel message, open the hearts of people, and bring them into his body. So thus the exercise of those gifts by believers aligns us with what Christ is doing today. Now, honestly, I could just stop this morning and say, let's just meditate on this. This is enough. You'll forget everything else I say. I am oftentimes guilty of giving way too much information. And I really should just go through this text, preach it, share the truth, and challenge you. But I told you you're drinking from a fire hunter today. I will come back to this. I promise. Now, when in Matthew chapter 16, do you know the first time the mention of the word church is ever indicated in Scripture came from the lips of Jesus? If you trace Matthew's gospel and you get to chapter 16, by that time, the nation of Israel had already rejected Jesus as Messiah. The leaders had turned the people away. Jesus had now taken the kingdom from them. They had committed the unpardonable sin as a nation. And now he gives a prophecy of what he's going to do since the Jews rejected him as Messiah. And this is what he says, I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now that is a future prophecy and promise that Jesus was going to build his church. The church is not Israel. Israel is not the church. The confusion comes now when God today saves Jew and Gentile and brings them into one body. So hang with me. We'll flesh that out because that's not the most important thing today. But this part is. There is such thing as two aspects of the church. So when we talk about the church as his body, you kind of see this big picture, the universal church. Some people mistakenly call it the visible and invisible church. That's not a good way to describe it. But universal is. This means that every person who has been baptized by the Spirit and joined to the body of Jesus, which occurred on the day of Pentecost, is placed into this body, and, and it will include this group of people from Pentecost all the way until Jesus returns at the rapture. That is the bride of Christ. Okay, what about Adam? What about Enoch? What about Abraham? What about Old, Old Testament people? That's not our problem. You should have come to Revelation. I would have told you about that. The point is, we are the bride of Christ. God has a plan for them. God gave them promises. God's going to fulfill those promises. But he has a special promise for his bride. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And let me tell you something, it started out really small. Just a few people. And then it exploded. And then it spread. And it went all over the world. And today, the church is meeting everywhere. An incredible, incredible living organism that's still alive. And even when one member of the church dies, the universal church goes on. 
But within this universal church, there are also local churches. Trinity would be one. Blue Ridge. Grace Life. I mean, how many churches could we name? Hope Valley. I mean, all kinds of churches right here in our little neck of the woods that meet together. And I, I can't name all of them because there's a list about that long. You can go to Google. Many, many good churches. I mean, sound, teaching. We pray for them. Hopefully they pray for us. We try to work with people. We, we are not against each other, folks. Please hear me. We are for churches that preach and teach the truth. We are, we are with them. We want them to succeed. They can reach some people we can't. We can reach some people they can't. We're in this together. Because we're all members of this universal church. This is not a competition of who has the most noses. It's about doing our job with our group of people to reach the ones that we can reach. And we are not like other churches. Every church has its own characteristic, its own flavors. It has its own dynamics. And the worst thing a church can do is try to be another church. Worst thing a pastor can do is try to be another pastor. You've got to be yourself. And the worst thing you can do is try to make people think you're somebody on Sunday morning that you're not on Monday. You do Jesus a disservice, you do yourself a disservice, and you do everybody else a disservice. Be yourself. God loves you just like you are. Did you know that? He saves you just like you are. Don't ever come to church to impress people. Never. Because when we come to church and we act like we got everything all together, first of all, we're telling ourselves a big one. And we're making ourselves in such a place that we are unapproachable. I say this often and I say it very clearly. We are all, all needy, hurting, broken people. And when we are ready to share our lives and our struggles with other people, that's when we become real and we open ourselves up to allow the Lord to help us. But when we are not vulnerable in that sense with the right people, we can't have help. And so what we try to do in a local church is create an environment in which people can be real and be themselves. They can share their doubts, they can share their struggles, they can share their frustrations. Hopefully at times they can share their rejoicing, their encouragement. And this is so uplifting to people. But this is what Jesus says he's going to build. And we're in this age, and I'm not going to go over that chart right now because it doesn't matter. But I'm going to give you a few reasons why we believe that being actively involved in a local church is beneficial. First of all, a biblical reason. Did you know that if Jesus gave his life to die for the church, then his people should love it enough to be a part of it. Let me say that again. If Jesus loved his church enough to give his life and die for it, his people should love it enough to be a part of it. Now let me say this. If you are looking for the perfect church that you can serve, give, and 
you're waiting for just that perfect church, let me help you with something. You'll never find it. And I'm not being mean here, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the truth. The reason you'll never find a perfect church is because churches are filled with imperfect people. And I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm willing to tell you that. I am an imperfect person. I have faults. I'm wrong. Sometimes I do things that I shouldn't. Looking back, you know, hindsight's always better than, than foresight. Because you can see things you wish you'd done or said something different. Every Sunday I go home, I always go back and go, Oh, I cannot believe I said or I didn't say this. And the only reason I do it is so I don't sit up here and go, Now let me explain to you why I don't preach like this on a piece of paper. Because I want, I want to have this in my heart so that I can look at your faces and be real with you and tell you. And if the Spirit of God leads me to say something, you know, my wife has prayed for me. Hopefully people in here have prayed that it's something that needs to be said. But never wait for the perfect church because you'll never find it. And I didn't say this, but somebody else did. He said, and the minute you join it, you'll mess it up. <laughs> that, that was a joke. But nevertheless, it is true. But if Jesus died for it, it's important enough that every one of his people should be a part of it. Now, this, you know, we're, we're not the Kiwanis Club. Uh, we're, we're not the rec center. So we don't expect everybody to come here. Did you know that? Don't get that concept because that's not what the local church is. Now, we want guests to come in. We want people from our community to come in. We want people who don't know Jesus and are searching for God to come in. And we want to be real with them. We want to share God's truth and His love with them. But primarily, 98% of the people that come in our doors here are His people. On some occasions, we don't. So we minister to His body while we're here. We encourage one another so that when we go out, that is the mission field. This is the refreshing station. This is the encouraging station. That's the mission field. And notice I'm pointing toward Oak Tree. Do you, I'm serious. Do you realize how many people live right here across this street? Can you imagine if one Sunday morning, are you ready for this? 10% of people living in Oak Tree decide to come to Trinity and visit. 10%. What would we do? We would be overfilled, wouldn't we? So the point is, the church is important because Jesus gave his life for it. That's a biblical reason. Now, notice the second reason, a cultural reason why people should commit to a church and be active and involved. You and I live in a day where people have shallow commitments. If, if, you have a, if you're a boss or you work in an employment place, what is the number one complaint today from employers? I can't get people to show up to work. We're offering sign-on bonuses. We're offering every benefit you can possibly imagine. People just won't show up to work. We live in an apathetic, a culture of apathy. It's just like, whatever. People should be involved in a local church because part of our culture, we have to know who we can count on. 
Jesus deserves better than apathy. He deserves people who are willing to sacrifice their time and their life unapologetically to serve Him. You'll never regret it in eternity. You know, a pastor once told me, he said, listen to me. He was an older man. And this is what he said. It was good advice. He said, young man, never beg someone to serve. Never beg them. He said, you are working for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let Him work in their heart and put a passion in them. And when He puts a passion in them, you'll have to get out of their way. He said, but if you have to beg them to serve, you'll have to beg them to stay. Don't do that. Wow. That was some wisdom. Rich wisdom. But we live in a culture where we have to have people commit. And then finally, I'm sorry, thirdly, a practical reason. You know, when people come to be part of a family, that's when you really know who you can count on. You would never ask somebody to do something in your home that you knew wasn't going to be there. And the same thing is true in a church. And then finally, a personal reason. Did you know that when we serve people through the church, it actually helps bring meaning and fulfillment to your life? Now, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I want you to think about it. You don't have to agree with me, but later on you can come and tell me you know that what I said was right. If you are a Christian, the moment you trust Jesus for eternal life, God puts within you, He gives to you as a gift, a spiritual gift. And that gift can range from the gift of encouragement, the gift of admonishment, the gift of teaching, the gift of serving, giving, helping. I could go down the whole list. The New Testament list between 12 and 16, maybe more. But you are given a spiritual gift as a gift from God to go along with your gift of eternal life. And God expects us to find that gift and use it. And I'm going to make this statement as a, as a pastor and as something practical and something that actually happened to me. You will never find fulfillment and meaning in your life as a Christian until you find out what your gift is and you use it to serve other people. And when you find that gift and when you use it to serve other people, you will find purpose, meaning, and fulfillment in life. One of my responsibilities, Brian's responsibilities, is to help you find your spiritual gift and put it in work, in effect, to help meet the needs of other people. This is one of our primary responsibilities. So pray for us that we can do that. Now, notice, five key steps for growth and health in your life. I'm going to go back over these, okay? I told you. Fire hydrant. With, without these five steps in your life, we feel like you are not even beginning to reach your potential. Okay, are y'all ready? I put them all on the screen so I didn't go through them one at a time. That way you can read them while I'm talking. The first is, we believe every person should belong. In other words, this would have the idea of coming together like this. 
You know, there is value in a corporate worship service. I hear people say today, well, we don't need talking or preaching or gathering together. We just need to get together and talk amongst ourselves. I don't think the New Testament shares that sentiment at all. As a matter of fact, God ordained the teaching and the public reading and preaching of His Word. Did you know when you read through the epistles, and especially when you get to First and Second Timothy, he doesn't say a lot about preaching. But the word teaching is used over and over and over again. You know, I hear people say all the time, well, I, don't, I can't go to your church because you don't step on my toe, you don't scream at me. No, I'm not going to stand up here and scream at you. That's, that's what we do to our kids when we get angry at them, right? I mean, I'm not going to stand up here and scream at you. That's not my calling. My calling is to take God's Word and to teach you what He says about your life and help you apply that and then go out into this mission field as you live your life and hopefully others look at you and listen to you and say, what is different about that person? Something is real in their life. And I've got to find out what that is. And God opens a door and we share that truth. But we believe that every person should belong. That means that we think people should gather for public worship. They should gather to sing. And by the way, we're blessed here with wonderful music. What an encouragement to sing some of these songs about God and His faithfulness and His goodness to us. A second step is we are to connect with one another. Now, I'm, I'm going to share a whole message on this. I'm warning you right now. It is not enough to come on Sunday morning and listen to me talk and Zach sing and all of us sing together and then go home. Listen to me. You will never fulfill your Christian life if you do not connect in some type of a atmosphere or a group with other people. Now, I'm going to take a whole message and go through all the groups that we have in our church and tell you about more we would love to see get started and the importance of you gathering together with 10 or 12 people and getting to know one another and sharing your life and your struggles and having them pray for you and you pray for them. This is where you get real with one another. And if one group doesn't work for you, find another one. We've got six, eight more. We need ten or twelve. But get, find one that you can be real in and be yourself and connect. If you're not gathering to worship and you're not connecting with a group of ten to twelve people, maybe five, seven, I don't know, you're not fulfilling what God has for your life. Third, Every Christian should serve somewhere. Every one of our members here at Trinity, our attender, what are you going to call yourself? You should be serving at least one place throughout the year in our church. Andrew Kroom does an awesome job getting and recruiting people to hand out bulletins, to say hello to people, to meet people in the parking lot, to make coffee. You know, that stuff doesn't just happen because somebody decides they're going to get up one morning randomly and come in here and do that. Andrew organizes all this and sends out all this information. And I mean, masterful job. He connects so many people to serve and to use their gifts and talents. And other people here do the same. But if you are not serving somewhere, 
other people with your spiritual gift, you are not reaching your full potential. If you are not giving to support the ministry, this ministry that you're being fed from, and also this ministry that goes out to the uttermost parts of the earth, if you're not giving and praying to that, you are not, according to God's Word, reaching your potential. And if you are not going, in other words, at least every now and then, having this passion and this desire, this urge to want to tell people about Jesus, to witness to them, if you're not doing that and you're not sharing what Jesus has done for you in your life, I say this, talking to myself, you are not living up to your potential. So these are the five basic minimum steps that we need, all of us, me, everyone here, no exclusions. These five steps should be the minimum for our growth and our health as a believer. And these are fulfilled in the local church. Okay, I'm going to go back over these. Don't worry. Some of y'all are looking and going, oh, I'm, I don't know. Okay, I promise. Now, here's the one another wheel. I preached a whole message on this. Actually, messages and messages. These are the one another's in the New Testament. In other words, when you go through the book of Acts and you read all the way through to the book of Revelation in the New Testament, these are the, the 20 to 30 one another's that every church member is to be doing. So when Paul says you are to serve one another, you're to, admire, you're to teach one another, you're to encourage one another, you're not to judge one another, you're to be devoted to one another. Every one of these is in the context of responsibility. And you, you will not leave Trinity till you know these one another's because this is your responsibility. And I fail as a pastor if I don't teach you. And you know how I do that? I go around the wheel. I start right here. We are to welcome one another. Build up one another. Wait for one another. Encourage one another. Be patient with one another. Comfort one another. Serve one another. Submit to one another. Admonish to one another. Sing to one another. Fellowship with one another. Be kind to one another. I like this one. Do not grumble against one another. Forgive one another. Confess your sins to one another. Boy, that's a hard one, isn't it? Bear burdens with one another. Do good to one another. Care for one another. Be humble to one another. Keep loving one another. Be truthful to one another. Don't judge. Pray for one another. Honor one another. Be devoted to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Teach one another. Show hospitality. That means have each other in your home and feed one another. Take somebody out to lunch. Be kind to them. Folks, this is our responsibility. Live in peace with one another. Encourage one another. And wait on one another. Don't have to be first all the time. This is New Testament truth. So good to meditate on. Now, I know you got, you said, whew, got four of this and five of that and six of this. I told you, 
the fire hydrant. I'm going to come back and, and dissect some of these. But we believe there are six benefits of connecting with a local body. And here they are, quickly, and then we'll get on it. First of all, when you connect with a local body, you actually have a sense of belonging. You know, you have to pay for a membership to be in the rec center. You realize that Joe Random, walking off the street, can't just go over to the rec center and go, hey, I'm going to go in here and work out one day. They're, they're going to say, no, let us see your ID. Well, I don't have an ID, but I want to go in. No, you can't go in. The church is not the rec center. Now, now people can drop by. We've had people say, I saw your sign. I saw this. What do we do? Do we ID them at the door and say, no, you can't? No. We say, no, you, you come in. However, when, when they do that, is that belonging or is that a guest? Now, what we want guests to do is to come here and the people who are here surround them and say, thank you for coming this morning. We're, we were w waiting on you, welcoming you. Please get a cup of coffee and come in here. Do you have anybody to sit with you? No, I came here by myself. Good, you can sit with me. My name's John. Come over here. I'm sitting right there. Are you doing anything for lunch afterward? Uh, no, probably eating. Okay, do you have plans to eat anywhere? No. I'll tell you what. Would you like to go over here? I'll buy your lunch. I, I, I don't know if I, but I... I tell you what. If you, don't, if you can't come this week or maybe you're uncomfortable tonight, come back next week. I'll meet you out there 15 minutes early. Or meet you through the week sometime if you want to. And we'll go to lunch after church next Sunday. Oh, okay. You know what that does? That's almost like meeting somebody at the rec center that comes out there and says, wait a minute, I want to use my one pass to let that person come in with me today. They take them in and that person goes in there and works out in the rec center and says, you know what, I want to join this rec center because I love that equipment and the people in there. And See how that works? We belong. Second benefit, being known for who you are. Now, I'm, I'm just saying this, folks. How refreshing it is when you can just be you. And you know, God made you like you are for a reason. You look like you do for a reason. You are who you are. Now, some of us need to change. If we have a bad attitude, don't be blaming that on God. I mean, that's our problem. And we need to straighten, straighten up if we have that, but... We have other people around us to help us, but we can be authentic and be ourselves and quit pretending that we're someone besides who we are. And when you do that, and you can be known for who you are without shame, that's something very wonderful. Being cared for and cared about. When you become part of a body, a local assembly, people get to know you and they love you and they care for you. And when you hurt, people want to be near you. For those of you who are not part of our meal schedule, you know, when somebody gets sick here, or has a baby, or gets hurt, or something happens in their life, we create a meal schedule for people. And I am so amazed at this meal schedule. You want to know why? Because most of the time, when it's posted, and you go back and look at it in like 8, 10 hours, it is full People have signed up for 15, 18 meals to take to someone. I mean, 
And I just sit back and look at that and go, thank you, Lord Jesus, for caring people who always want to help meet the needs of others. And listen to me, if you're looking for a church that, that loves you and wants to help meet your needs, I, I assure you, there are people in this church that fit that bill. Now, not everybody. We do have some grouchos that come, okay? I'm, I'm a, and we do have some that complain, but not a lot. But every family has that. Every church family has that. It's okay. It's okay. Because we still love one another. We have a sense of purpose for your life when you connect. You know this is why God saved you. And did you know that you can also be a part of a team and something that will succeed and will never fail? My boy, one of my boys played on a sports team this year and he made this statement to me. I, I held off preaching. I was just trying to listen. He said, Dad, you know, played on sports teams my whole life growing up. I've never been on a winning team. You know, that's, that's what sometimes homeschoolers struggle with. They have to play with schools that get beat to death. I've never been a, on a school with a winning team. I had to bite my tongue. I wanted to say, oh, son, you are on the winning team. The church will prevail. We win. You want to be part of that? I mean, listen to me, folks. The world will not win. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, Jesus said they are passing away. But he who does my will and is part of my church and bride will remain forever. And then finally, accountability. Okay, so I hope that this mouthful, this hydrant, I just wanted to lay it out there. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking and dissecting some of this, going into great detail on the importance of the love. Why is the church important? I want you to leave with this today. The church is important because Jesus is important. Serving is important. Belonging is important. Connecting is important. Giving is important. Going is important. And if you want fulfillment for your life, you'll be part of that. And God will honor it. Father, thank you so much. Thank you that you saved us and called us into these fellowships, these local churches that are part of your universal body to serve you, to encourage one another, to fulfill these commands that you give us to one another. And we thank you for that. And I pray this morning for those maybe searching for a church or a church family to be part of. I pray that they will examine us. I pray that all of our people here will be gracious and loving and friendly, kind, helpful, encouraging, and to want to, to let people know that you really do make a difference in our life. And we thank you for that. Thank you for the gift of eternal life, but also thank you for our life now that you give us, the abundant life. And that we can actually have joy and contentment and happiness here, even in the midst of pain and trials. So over the next few weeks, help us as we examine your church and the purpose of it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.